Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor, Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And this week, uh, we're going to jump into some current events. This past week was Mother's Day, mm-hmm. and we had a couple of guest speakers, or not guest speakers, more like guest, um, guest appearances. Guests, guest appearances. We did some interviews on Mother's Day, and uh, it, was, it, was a, it was an amazing day. And um, so, but we took a little bit of a, um, a pause from our sermon series, uh, more than a name, and we'll pick that up this Sunday. Um, so this week's podcast, uh, we figured we would take some time to dive into some things that are happening around the world. Yeah, and as I'm actually, even as you're saying it, I'm thinking this is actually maybe not a divergence from <laughs> our series because this Sunday I'm talking about the yeah. purpose of a church, right? Well, here's yeah. the mission, the vision, but like, what's the purpose of it? And like the quest for what's true mm-hmm. in like truth right now, like I'm pretty sure that's something that the church has a corner on when Jesus introduces himself as the way, the truth, that's the right. life. So there is a, this does fit in in that way because that's, if there's anything that we can say right now about America, and there's many things you can say, is that there is a, uh, there's no truth. Like it's a, it's a desert of truth right now. My truth, your truth. And people are all saying, I just don't know what's true anymore. I don't know how to find out what's true. Like that's the world we're in. And of course, Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, the life is 100% something we have a corner on the market for. So this is actually not that big of a divergence from our series. No, I guess it's not. And honestly, this was uh, kind of what spawned the idea for this podcast originally almost two years ago. Is that It we was, you're right, yeah. Kind of tie in what's happening around the world in our own country with Scripture and with our sermon series. You know, some things and some topics that we really can't get into maybe on a Sunday just because of time mm-hmm. and context. Uh, but in here, in this podcast, uh, we can. We can we can have some some opinions and state some facts yeah. about what's actually happening, and then you know um, overlay that on top of scripture so that we have a correct perspective on on exactly how we should handle all that's happening in the world. Yeah, that really was where we started, wasn't it? We were you and I would sit around looking at charts and reading European epidemiologists' <laughs> Twitter feeds and like just trying to learn like of all the pile of narrative out there what was true and what wasn't true. And so we felt like we were, like we made some decisions based on what was true, not based upon what was politically expedient. And the podcast was like, you know, we would be great if we could share this with some uh, of our, of our people. Yeah. And it was born out of that, you know, then that's still a lot of what it is, which is that uh, the Word of God, the Bible, is not exclusive of the world. It's not like we have the, the the Word of God part of our lives and the rest of the world. It's all it comes back to that. That's right. And so, our quest for for truth starts in the Word, ends in the Word, and we can you know funnel everything through that. Uh, everything from creation to you know, microbiology, all those things we're talking about, but there's still truth. It's, the truth is not unknowable. Yeah, and and that's a good point because I think. I mean, I've had people say to me, you know, why, why, 
Why are you so caught up in current events? Why do you pay so much attention to that? You know, it's so confusing and complicated. I'd rather just not even know. Mm-hmm. And these aren't, so I guess our point is these aren't mutually exclusive things. They're not at all. And it's kind of uh, dishonest to maybe not uh, be aware of what's happening mm-hmm. in light of maybe what scripture is say, saying. Yeah, there's, um, I think if I were to frame the dishonest part, it would be those that say that you can't have any, that you shouldn't be at all talking about the current event right. stuff. Um, there, there are those who are wired more for it and wired less for it. True. I've learned that over the years. But the idea of, like, there are decisions being made in, in the world based upon, God only knows what at this point. And so we have to make decisions whether we're going to follow along with it. And one of those examples was when they shut down churches, but they left liquor stores open. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, because uh, uh, liquor stores were clearly um, essential services. Deemed as such. That's as such. And in, in a New York Times article uh, this week, among adults younger than 65, alcohol-related deaths actually outnumbered deaths from COVID-19 in 2020. Wow. So leaving liquor stores open because it was an essential service actually killed more people than shutting down churches did. So there's a question of like, okay, while I appreciate their enthusiasm for this, that's a factually inaccurate statement. And so when we reopened, when many churches reopened, there was this idea of uh, there's this, this is settled science. This is, we've got to do this. And the, and the fact is, is this, not only was it not settled science, it was, uh, it was an experiment, like a global, like there's no way that this, because it's never been done like this before. So no one could say that this was settled science. And what it, what China has proved is that the most egregious, aggressive, you know, policies to lock down for COVID doesn't work. You are at the very best kicking the can down the road. Exactly what it is. Two years later, they're still shutting down because they're trying to. The, the, the arrogance of secular humanism is that this microbiological thing called, you know, COVID-19, the coronavirus, that we can stop it somehow, do something that nobody in history has ever done. And without any thought to, you know, this, the quote-unquote science, it's something we said back then, right, was that they know a lot about microbiology and they know nothing about humanity. So locking and isolating people Actually, uh, I was I was interviewed in a podcast last week, the Holy Smokes podcast, nice. right? Stephen, uh, uh, the guy is great. His wife uh, died of a pulmonary embolism alone. Three little kids, two little kids, three little kids, uh, in a Colorado hospital, unable to be visited by her husband or her children. Uh, the the closest they got was to be able to wave at their uh, mama through the window on Mother's Day. They, I think it was Mother's Day. It might have been her birthday. They went and had a little picnic outside so she could see him and wave at him. So she dies alone because some scientist decided that you can't go visit in a hospital because it's too dangerous. And, you know, while I appreciate the idea of is that a, you know, scientific fact, that's, it's an immoral. What That is literally immoral and it, it should never happen in our country. So for us to stay silent, we could stay silent on that. Or we could speak up because it's true. If that, that was an immoral thing that happened to her and it happened to countless other people who died alone unnecessarily. And 
the anger that that brings up in me uh, brings a passion, and that passion is for truth. Not to burn down institutions, but for truth. You know, we are approaching almost two and a half years uh, of data, of information that is giving more clarity to uh, to what happened, to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not we're not two weeks or two months into this now. We're almost two and a half years. Yeah, and it seems as if every month that passes, there's more and more information. Um, that makes what is in the rearview mirror a lot clearer. Yeah. Um, as to <laughs> what really um, was a lot of um, misinformation, lies, as some might call it. Yeah. Things that maybe we were saying two years ago. Um, I, I don't want to use the word validated, but maybe maybe I should. Um. There's just been clarity being brought and information and facts that are um, things that maybe we said a couple of years ago that were crazy or um, blasphemous to the to the scientific community at the time or the government um, now has flipped yeah completely um, and it's frustrating right because as you as it's more than frustrating it's 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 uh, it's infuriating well it's it's maddening, right? Because Bill Gates this week in some interview clip is saying, sort of lamenting and reconsidering, you know, the the, the choice of this, like a, trying to stick everybody with the vaccine and trying to, when we, and he said, you know, we're learning now, we didn't know before that the population was vulnerable, was these senior citizens and the, and I'm like screaming at my yeah. phone going, what do you mean we didn't know? Yeah. We knew that in April of 2020, when right. like uh, nursing homes in New York were overrun with death, like it wasn't like we didn't know. Like, and if he didn't know, he's either a, a, an idiot or willfully. Of course, he did create Windows, so there's a possibility that you know we're, we're not exactly talking with the guy that created an operating system that we all trust. But <laughs> but the, the, it was like this was like last week, and so for him to say that out loud. Um, I believe is what is referred to as gaslighting, like yeah. saying something that, like the, the, and pretending that it's true while you're over here going, oh, no, 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 that's not true at all. Like we did know that. And many, many people in the epidemiologist community from Yale, from Harvard, from MIT were speaking of those things and were shut down on social media, were stopped, uh, voices canceled because they were not going with the narrative. So and maybe it's possible that he didn't know because he, he was only reading from people that were, uh, that were not telling the, you know, sure. The correct information. It, he has uh COVID by the way, this week. Did you see that? He got the Rona. He's got the Rona. I don't know why I'm laughing, but it's true. He's, he's down for the count apparently, uh, in reported mild symptoms. Um, he's probably thankful he got the vaccine. And to finish his sentence, yes. Oh, sorry, I no, didn't see that. Oh, that's exactly what he said. Thankful <laughs> to the vaccine, but but the problem is is that this ushered in a a a litany of protocols and some laws um, and things that are very difficult to reverse. Like the toothpaste is out of the tube, and so now we're two and a half years farther down um, the road in. Uh, 
into the deep of all things pharmaceutical. Um, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, laws and mandates across the country that have forced people to leave their homes and move across the country to other places, which is what we're what we're seeing here in, in Tennessee as well. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, a massive shift has happened. Something that has come from this is the reality that truth matters, obviously, and also the reality that, I mean, there's a reason why Jesus said, all right, I'm the way, the truth, the life. You know, when Josh McDowell was talking 27 years ago now, I'm trying to remember the year, that's how old I am, Doug, on it, uh, at an Atlanta Fest stage, talking about there's coming a day where your truth and my truth is going to be the thing, and there's a day where you won't even be able to stand on a stage like this at a public event in a, a park and be, you know, be able to say God's word. And and boy, is he looking like a prophet all of a sudden. But I'm realizing, I don't know that he was a prophet or he was just reading Second Thessalonians, right? Like, wherever you think we are on the eschatological timeline, 2,000 years ago, Paul was writing, you know, that the idea that the coming of the lawless one, chapter 2, verse 9, it's interesting, by the way, that Antichrist in Scripture has many names, but one of them is lawless ones, the lawless one. And what are we seeing right now? Defund police. Guys are, people are not being prosecuted for actual crimes. People can literally walk into stores and in San Francisco and walk out with whatever. As long as it's under $1,000, you can walk out. So the coming of the lawless one will, uh, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays. Uh, power through signs and wonders to, quote, serve the lie. And all the ways wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to, and this is the the sentence that just jumped off the page, to love the truth and so be saved. And he goes on in verse 12, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So there's an idea that at some point on earth, that the shift that the Bible prophesies is a shift away from truth. It's a shift away from a foundation. And interesting that he correlates here wickedness with a lack of truth, celebrates wickedness. And if the libs of TikTok feed have told us anything, there's an enormous amount of people celebrating wickedness. And the idea of loving the truth, I mean, one of the greatest ironies right now is that our government in the Department of Homeland Security has decided we need a minister of disinformation, or what are they calling her? It's called the Disinformation Governance Board. Governance Board. So is she a czar? What do they call him in America? Yeah. czar? They are calling it a czar position, yes. Sort of an ironic <laughs> origin of that word. Um, of misinformation. Disinformation. Disinformation, sorry. From a culture that has said my truth and your truth is it. So I have my truth and you have your truth. So the logical conclusion is that there would be a place where we don't gather around truth. So they have to now say, we're putting someone in charge to tell us what is true and what's not true. Man, that's so dangerous. Oh, buddy. Like when you look at the history of the lady that they chose, I'm thinking, man, you guys, yeah, there's a lot of people you could have picked. And I don't know. I don't know if they're drawing straws over there. Like, I don't know how she came to the top of the the heap on that. But you look at her Twitter history and she's someone that, you know, she promoted the the Russian collusion thing, which has been demonstrably like falsified. It was completely erroneous false information uh 
and now she's in charge of telling us what's true. Like that's a yeah, and she's got a history of backpedaling on a lot of things that she stated a couple of years ago, yeah. <laughs> and so now this person is in charge of the entire country's disinformation right uh, organization. Um, I don't know how they find a centrist to 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 lead that. It's like you're setting yourself up to well, fail either way. Yeah, the the answer is you don't, uh, because this is the reason why this is so dangerous. Is that job is actually impossible. Yeah, uh, I think Bill Maher referred to most disinformation as, was literally like the first draft of history. So they got it a little bit wrong, which is what we again we saw it, we saw it unfold in real time, like I've never seen it before in what happened with with the COVID policies. Things that we're saying now that are like accepted, you can whatever. The Atlantic, New York Times, are all writing like two years ago. You say this, and it was like a cancelable, burn them at the stake offense that just turned out to be true. But at the time, they th- they didn't think it was. And I do believe a lot of the a lot of the people in the earlier drafts were. They were just wrong. I don't think they were intentionally deceitful. I just think they were wrong. And to me, there's a little bit of difference in that. But that's why a minister of disinformation is so dangerous, because if, what if she's wrong? What if she's incorrect about it? And at what point does do we say that it's settled science? At what point do we say that it is accepted wisdom? And so having somebody in a country of 350 million people to be the deciding factor on that is incredibly dangerous and foolish. One of the things that's coming out in this past couple of weeks is um, the backtracking again on the vaccine itself. Okay. Now, we've talked a lot about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're just throwing out facts and maybe updates. Maybe people don't know. Um, but over the past couple of weeks, some of the major information that's come out about vaccine is the biggest one would be the Johnson & Johnson vaccine basically being pulled. Which is insane. It's being pulled completely. Um, required for work. And by the way, we have, I know somebody personally, we wrote a letter of um, exemption for him for his job as a pilot, which by the way was initially accepted and then was later retracted. Uh, he's a pilot. Yeah. And so he decided to take the J&J vaccine because there was only one of them and it didn't have the mRNA technology in it. So he took that one thinking it was the safest of the three and now it's being pulled. Yeah, it's being pulled by the FDA due to um, being linked to blood clots um, over and over and over again here and in um, in Europe. Um, so that's that was this week, um, and then also the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. They keep moving that as well. It was um, only approved for those. Um, uh, under 30 and then they like a month later came out and said well actually only approved for those under 40 um, and so they so the older adults um, they were saying could should not take this vaccine um, Moderna's in the news as well for very similar issues um, then all of the uh, Pfizer documents that they tried to push out to not be available for from the FDA for 75 years. Wow. <laughs> like a slow drip, a slow roll of um, Pfizer documentation for all information around the vaccine was to be uh, a 75 year process. Um, and a judge has stepped in to expedite that. And some of those are, are have become available in the past week. Hmm. Um, and it's not 
favorable at all to Pfizer. Um, a lot of this information is out there. We don't have time to get down to the to drill down all the way to the bottom of some of this because it's so overwhelming. Um, but the, the fact is, and what we're we're reading about and what we're seeing that's 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 coming out very quickly is things just aren't what they said they were. And if you think about again, the like one of the places that a church gets to take a stand somewhere is for truth. Yeah, and. You know, of course, when we, people were talking about whether it's masks or vaccines, or whatever, there was a. It's it's real easy, and it's what happens all the time when you whether it's you're reading it in New York Times or whatever. The, so the first thing is then to just insult uh, someone like you or I, and oh, you guys are anti-vaxxers. You're you know, and and that's just not. First of all, it's not even good debating skills, but it's not right. <laughs> true. Like I genuinely was vaccinated for everything, like yellow fever. I cannot get into Africa without those vaccines. What I'm anti is things that don't work. I'm anti that for sure. I'm anti like, a mass experiment on humanity. Like if someone has a question about that, that's not an unreasonable thing to ask. And so to have that been forced, so to in the church world, you know, we were and are just wanting truth. And so for us to be called political because we were saying that was almost uh, unbearable than to find out that there were guys like Ed Stetzer and Russell Moore, guys that are good men that love the Lord, who were very proactively pitching for people to get the vaccine. So the question isn't whether or not you're political or not political. In my mind, it's like, what is true and what's not true? Yeah. They have every bit as much right to do that as I had to do this. And we'll find out what later what the, what the truth is. But so, and I, but I guess I go back to that uh, Second Thessalonians. Like, it's, it's a fascinating thing that it's, that's where we are in America 2022 is trying to figure out what's true and not true genuinely that is not an easy you would think it's the internet this should be the we have more information than we've ever had ever which makes it actually harder and so for us whether it's through the medical community whether like we have to go for what's true and and listen and read critically think critically and know that at the end of it all the bible gives us hope right that this is not uh without like the Bible prophesied this, we we knew that we would be coming to a time in an era where things would be complicated, and you know, and we can be right now a oasis of of truth, not politics, but principles. Yes, and one of those questions of truth is what is a uh, what is a baby and what is not a baby. I want to get to that question and what's happening there, but I want to bring in just a little bit of levity to uh, the conversation too. Um, just talking about. Inflation and, and gas prices and how you know things are things are tough on people right now. Um, this week we hit a record uh, national average for gas prices. Um, so what are we in middle of May May 2022 uh, national average is four dollars and forty one cents a gallon. I think it's like four forty nine here in Franklin. Tennessee, I think, is it? What, I think it's what it is. Well, four fifty nine, actually. I still get my gas at Glenn's Grocery off of uh, <laughs> Paytonsville Trinity Road. Man, it is like redneck. Like, yeah. get you a slice of pizza and a corn dog, and I've got buddies that have these r- really nice cars that require uh, like 
you know the premium the stuff premium stuff which is like 539 a gallon right now uh-huh um you know who has a you know who has a car in their family that requires premium gasoline right now you the tyler's you <laughs> my son's little rice rocket does it really? yes I maybe oh, I need no. to verify that with your wife if that's really oh, true. No. Like, I, funny, I'm actually not going to verify it with you. I need to verify it with your wife. <laughs> yeah, but she would know. She would know. But yeah, I'm over there going like five bucks. Oh again. no! So, so now I say that you know he's not paying for it, so he's being. But he actually will go to Sam's Club because it's cheaper. Okay. Oh, uh, so even though when he's not paying for it, he's like super cheap. But but yeah, I'm like five bucks. Yeah. How much was Rice Rocket car? How much was uh, gas when you started driving? Do you remember per oh, gallon? Oh, I do. It was like a dollar twelve, maybe dollar. There was a time, by the way, in 1997. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say. 89 cents a gallon in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Because that's when I got my license in 1997. And I remember filling up my car. He got his license in 97. <laughs> I was an adult with children making adult decisions. I remember filling up my car for 89 cents a gallon. Yeah. You know, I filled it up for $10. Yeah. I was on the road, man. It was great. And my first yeah. car was in 1983. Chevette scooter. Wow. Yeah. Chevette scooter? It, yeah, it was like a four door. It was like the it was like it was like the sport version. I'm Googling, I'm Googling this. <laughs> You're Googling this. Did, did you buy this on purpose or was it like you got a good deal on it? Uh, it I got a really good deal on it because my grandmother uh handed it down to me. It was your grandma's car? Yeah, man. Oh dude, that you see it? You cannot fight crime on that car. That um no, it's just a glorified. Is go-kart. it a hatchback? Yeah, that's exactly it right there. What well, you're that, dude, at. that looks like a Pinto. It's very similar. It was the Chevrolet version of that. Dude, um, how many cylinders were in that thing? One. I don't know, but at eighty-nine cents a gallon, uh, that oh, was that was a treat. That is an ugly car. The other the other thing that's kind of leading into this though too <laughs> it's is funny, it's an Oregon license plate on the one I go. That actually uh, makes all the sense in the world. Sorry, of course. Sorry. Diesel is at five dollars and fifty cents a gallon. Which is proving very complicated for farmers across the the, yes. the country, and um, so when we're talking about food prices increasing, which they have uh, over the past year, I was reading a report this morning that came out uh, where ten percent in increase in food prices across the country. That's an average. I think I personally think it's more like fifteen to twenty percent. It sure feels like it on my budget. Um, and so all of this is just. It has a trickle, trickle down effect, um, and there's various reasons for this. Partly because of what happened with these COVID policies two years ago, we have caught up. You know, there's one in five um, shipping containers or cargo ships, rather, are, are frozen in China right now. Um, one in five, so twenty percent, are are stuck. That's right now. So you know, fast forward another six to nine, six to nine months. Um, what we're experiencing now is going to exacerbate, from what I'm reading, about another 30% hike in prices across the board. And again, we don't, we don't, we're not just throwing things out there. This is all connected to, again, <laughs> what was put into motion by much of this COVID situation. And so it helps bring some clarity as to what's going on, because a lot of it's all tied together. And. And to go back to, you know, God's word, Hebrews 11, verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. 
point, Jesus isn't late, right? He's coming, and at the, at the, the appointed time, he will come. And my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Like, for us in the moment that we're in, I, I feel this tension of, like, simultaneously, like, uh, wanting to feel the fear and the anxiety while simultaneously feeling, I mean, 100% invigorated. Like we are living in a time that is like what I, I believe that the, the disciples would have given anything to be living in this time. And we have been blessed as a country, and I hope that that continues. Now, I with the abortion thing, again, we're going to talk about that. I do have some genuine questions as to how long it can go and how at what point does God say, well, like, you all think that you've got the greatest nation on earth, but you're killing millions of babies. Like, at some point, was it Billy Graham? Like, he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, like, that part, I, I think about that part some, but I also think, man, this is a great time to be alive. And uh, if, but now I say that, if this world is all we have, then it's terrifying, and maybe right. that's what I'm getting at. Like the one, I, the, the tension I feel is probably what Demas felt in First Timothy four. Uh, he talks about Demas who left him. Um, yeah, there's the who's who of the Bible, and then there's the who's that. Demas is a who's that, um, <laughs> but he left him because he loved this world. Like it got hard, and so he left. And so you know, whether the writer of Hebrews is Paul or not is up for debate. But he's he God takes no pleasure in those who shrink back, and for. Us as a church, the purpose of church, whatever, like circle the wagons, get like we are together, herd instinct here, right, with the with the Bible and herd instinct with each other. Because in a time like this, we need each other more than ever to and I've seen it firsthand. Like I've seen it in the in the developing nations who live in ways that we could never imagine. The richness that they have in relationship is crazy. In fact, I was thinking about, you know, a lot of the things that people talk about what they want to do here in America to try to learn to survive or whatever. I'm like, well, they've been doing that in Haiti for like decades. Like they, they know how to butcher a goat and they know, you know, they know how to get water. And so so there's some skills that we just have never had to have before. Um, And I guess what I'm driving at is I, like, I don't know the future of this, of our nation. I don't know. uh, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm, if there's anything, I'm actually really bad at predicting the future for my own personal life. But, but I know that I know that in this moment right now, shrinking back is not an option um, because faith won't allow for that. Like faith, the uh, the courage that comes from conviction, uh, and a conviction is whether is this true or is it false, and and that's simple as it is. And if it's true, then we will make decisions based on what is true, not based on what is popular. Because you go back to Second Thessalonians, Paul talks about, like, we weren't making, we weren't telling you what you wanted to hear. We weren't telling you, chapter 2, what was expedient. We were just saying, this is true, and let the chips fall where they may. And again, spirit of Antichrist, First John chapter 4, uh, the spirit of Antichrist, which, by the way, doesn't, the word Greek, uh, anti, the anti-Greek uh, word, I can't remember the word, crap, crap, crap. Anyway, it, but it means in place of Jesus, not just against or opposed to, but in place of Christ that's the word. And so if golly, if there's a whole thing in our world right now, like America, man, there's a whole lot of in place of Jesus, right? There's science in place of Jesus, government in place of Jesus, education system in place of Jesus. Paul or John was saying the spirit of Antichrist, it's already here. We don't have to wait for that. And it's growing. And for a church family to be in love with truth and to not shrink back, but to keep moving forward, attacking the gates of hell, let, let the chips fall where they may. That's a kind of church I can grow old in. 
Yeah, and you talk about courage that comes from conviction. I think one of the things that we're experiencing here in Middle Tennessee, and specifically at, at Conduit, is um, an infusion of families that are full of courage. Right. That have moved their families from across the country, um, leaving, um, leaving, you know, leaving families, leaving businesses, leaving homes. Um, because they they've drawn a line in the sand and their convictions on how their kids are going to be schooled or how just you know uh, quality of life um, living in you know mask mandated communities or whatever it is I mean fill in the blank but the the courage that it has taken for hundreds yes. of thousands of people to relocate uh, to move across the country into areas that are like minded in their convictions. Um, the result of that has been for us in our church family is, like I said, an infusion of courage. It's inspiring, isn't it? An inspiring uh, set of of people that are just, again, drew a line in the sand, waving a flag of this is how we want to raise our families mm-hmm. and give us the assignment. Yeah. I think that what we're seeing, what I'm experiencing like the idea of how do we communicate truth in a way that people hear it? I, I was never that concerned of whether or not I would offend somebody. Uh, it's just not how I'm wired. Um, I'm, I'm not, I mean, and the thing is, it's not that I don't. I, mean, I actually want to be liked. Like I really want people to like me. Like my mom. Like she knows. Like how can anybody not like him? <laughs> but but it was based on what's true or not. But I, over the years, I would try to craft in a way that was winsome, that was, if I took my time and took the scenic route, you know, that I could convince somebody. But I realized in the last couple of years that, A, that's exhausting. And it, I I don't know that it worked. Like I didn't, I don't know that ever changed anybody's mind. And so either I'm not a very good, you know, wordsmith or that's just not how people move a position. And so for me learning that going, okay, well, look, me saying that a man can't have a baby is actually not a controversial thing to say. It's scientifically false. Like it's, that's not a courageous thing to say. It's a true thing to say. Now, would people say that? They don't want to say it because they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to cause controversy. First Thessalonians too, Paul said, look, we didn't base our language on what, what was popular or not. It was on what was true or not, what is true or not. That's actually quite freeing when you think about it. Like I've felt more free in the last two years and I've gotten more hate mail than I've ever gotten in my <laughs> life, but I've felt more freedom than I've ever felt, you know, and, and yeah, people, yeah, we had people leave the church, that, you know, it's getting too political too, but I'm just being principled. Like I'm looking at the word and it's, is it true or is it false that a, that a baby inside of a mother's womb has a right to live? That's true. I know it's controversial. I know that people, there are some people that vehemently disagree with that. And it's still true. And we have to, over the courage of our convictions are what will carry into this next season, whatever's next in our world. Uh, it would be exhausting for me to try to, you know, to hold, okay, what's offensive, what's not offensive. I can't say this, but I can't say that. Because if, if there's one thing we see for sure around here, right, is that somebody's going to get offended about everything. So I can't even base it on that. I have to base it on what's true or what's not. And it's extraordinarily freeing. And you're right, being around people that have moved their families from the only thing they've ever known. Like, So you and I would look at Portland and think, oh, man, keep it weird, Portland. I don't want anything to do with you. But people that grew up there, 
they looked at us in Middle Tennessee with a sense of pity, right? Because that's all they ever saw in the media was that these flyover states, these poor people, these rednecks, these hicks, whatever. And so not only were they moving to a place that uh, that wasn't their home, everything they ever knew, they were moving to a place that had been hammered into their mind. I remember the Cutlass Boys in the early days, like they would, they hated Tennessee. I remember John Micah going, "Man, it's like I don't. It's it's just weird because like everybody's they always talking to you." Like, bro, that's called being polite. Like, what are you, that's not rude. Social skills. It's called being polite. But, you know, but families that are packing up and moving um, as somebody who's done that, you've done that, I've done that, it's not easy. No. Especially when you're moving in the middle of a pandemic and you don't even know what's on the other side. It's really scary. And I, I was uh, part of the men's Bible study this morning, um, and probably half of that group has moved here recently from out of state and uh, from the West Coast specifically. Wow. And it's it's downright inspiring, man. Yeah. I walked out of there feeling pretty energized. Yeah, a lot of these people are moving, uh, buying houses sight unseen even. They're just, they just they're trying to get out mm-hmm. and they're getting over. And um, and I'm just, as I'm, <clears throat> as I'm driving around seeing all these other uh, license plates that we haven't seen over the past five, five to 10 years, um, I'm just reminding myself, man, that's a that's a courageous person. You know, they're they're taking a chance, and um, and, and most likely, if you're moving to Nashville, you're moving to Tennessee, you, um, you're like minded, yeah. in that way, yeah. Um, and so you alluded to it a minute ago about you know, the right to life, and this this case that's that has uh, ignited the country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Mississippi abortion case that's really the 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 precipice for this and most people don't realize that um but it's the it's the this case out of mississippi that's uh dobbs versus jackson women's health organization and it's basically um they're they're voting it's been brought to the supreme court um and it's making a decision on whether or not a an abortion can be performed uh after 15 weeks and so Mississippi is ruling on this. And so in that decision has been leaked um, that, it, that it will then um, be, become law that you cannot have an abortion after 15 weeks, of which then um, kind of pulls the plug on Roe, which is a federal law. And so that's what's ignited everybody is that this is coming and that's not supposed to happen. These these uh, these decisions are not supposed to be leaked in this way. Right. <laughs> Unprecedented. So that's its that's its own issue mm-hmm. um, in, t- in terms of integrity. And uh, and now we have a a country inflamed in so much so that there's a, a vote today as well. Um, another political um, angle for this Women's Health Protection Act. Um, it's a, it's a radical abortion bill that, um, that would codify, mm-hmm. um, abortion rights across the board and then not allow for the Supreme Court to rule on such things any further. Now it looks like that's not going to pass. I can't imagine. So don't you think that the, the plan there would be throw this up for a vote so that they can like Schumer and Pelosi can like say this is why we've got to get rid of the filibuster we've got to overturn that so that we can 
because they're very close on that filibuster, by the way. There's only a couple of Democrats that stand between them and getting the filibuster overturned. And right. if they get the filibuster overturned, they can 100% pass this law with their current. I think that's the current lineup in the House and the Senate right now that they could pass it. Yeah, so there is there's a bit of a chess match going, which is so frustrating. Again, we're frustrated <laughs> because the fact that you would have to uh, defend an unborn child um, from from being murdered is 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 just it's so frustrating to have this conversation. I understand all the intricacies to all of this as well, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, who is standing up for this unborn child? Yeah, when they talk about human rights. And when you have a conversation, by the way, with someone on who is uh, especially aggressively pro-abortion, when you then bring up the, okay, well, then we'll make exceptions for those. And then, but that's not what they want. It was almost like when we were trying to get the, the homeschoolers back in our, in their, you know, they're saying it was because of the septic, but it was actually because of the school. And it was like this big back and forth. And like, at the end of the day, the the senators, the Democratic Party in general right now has made it a platform of their party that this is uh, an un, inarguable, inalienable right. President Biden said that it was God's God gave this right to humans to be able to choose an abortion, um, which is uh, I think we call that blasphemy where I'm from. But they've made it that uh, passionate of an argument against it. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the months here right in front of us, but if history is a teacher, an incensed progressive left wing, uh, as as much as they want to say that the right wing guys, and there's some nuts in the right wing, whatever, but the people that were been burning down buildings and tearing down Portland and, you know, that they're building fences around the White House to protect, they are not from that party. It's been the raging liberals. I mean, there was a... a pro-life, I think it's Madison, Wisconsin building that was like just ransacked and burned a couple of days ago. Uh, Churches were interrupted all over America by protesters. So, you know, and right now, of course, the uh, General Saki, whatever her name is, is like encouraging the peaceful protests. So this the position of the Biden administration, it's 100% quote from her mouth, is to encourage these peaceful protests in the front of the homes of Supreme Court justices, uh, which is insane. But, that, but that's the madness of it is like we're throwing rules, we're throwing truth out, we're throwing now it's passion and, and, uh, and feelings about this. Because right now the way this Supreme Court lineup is, it actually, if, if that uh, first draft, they, they literally, I've actually done some research over the years on the Supreme Court. Uh, Radio Labs, a, a more perfect uh, journey of the Supreme Court. It was actually, it's, it's one of those things that wasn't nearly as fascinating as I thought it would be. It was more fascinating than I thought it would be. Like in the early days of the Supreme Court, they were just like guys in uh, like, like horse and buggies going from state to state, like settling cases. There was, in fact, there's only just a couple of sentences in the Constitution that even refer to the Supreme Court. Like the current thing we have right now is actually not what was even imagined uh, 200 years ago, 300 years, whatever it was. Point is, here we are now. We have the, these justices. There are five of them that could uh, go with Alito in whatever draft, and they don't have the votes to overturn that. So they're, the rage right now and the urgency of it um, is because they actually know that they this what was leaked could actually change the, the, the literal landscape of America. Yeah, there's so much going into this right now. And um, you're, you're right about when, you, when you're talking about like the, the spectrum of – 
liberal, conservative, libertarian. Um, we there's these just broad strokes now. It's just one side versus the other side. Yeah, you know, there's no complete binary. Yeah, no nuance, none. Um, so much so that you know the uh, Department of Homeland Security would call you and I a domestic terrorist for saying some of the things that we're saying on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the misinformation czar. Could shut us down. As a security threat. Yes. Like, that is, that is we've talked about this before on previous podcasts, uh, if you want to go back and listen to some of that. But, um, yeah, some of the ideas that we have, some ideologies that we carry, label us uh, as a domestic terrorist. Yeah. According to the current rules. Um but the other side, when they when they disagree with something, um, they're lauded, and uh, and 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 um, held up as as bold and courageous for for standing up for again for truth. Right, their truth. I was listening to an interview with Jack Dorsey, former CEO of Twitter. Yeah, and this has been from a while back, actually. And I'd never heard it before. It was actually him, so it wasn't like even written. This was like him in his own voice saying that when they were doing research that people who leaned conservative, that uh, they actually followed multiple different opinions on Twitter. But people who leaned conservative, like especially they were, I think they were specifically uh, the blue checks and the, if you were liberal progressive, you only followed other progressive and liberal voices. They weren't like taking opinions from right and center. And there was literally their own little echo chamber, but in the right, the right, which was a truth thing, which actually, I mean, it resonates with me because I've always, I mean, whether it's NPR, like I'm genuinely curious and want to learn what people that I that believe like I believe, believe. And I want to know what the people who don't believe what I believe, yeah, which is a healthy perspective for all of us. Yeah. But when I heard that, I'm thinking, oh, that explains how at the height of a pandemic scare back in 2020 that like 40 percent of Democrats, self-described Democrats, thought that your chances of going to the hospital if you had COVID was 50-50. Wow. Like somebody's misinformation was for sure finding their way into there. But that was what there was so much fear because they believed that to be the truth, which, by the way, was never the truth, never even a threat. Like even the most scary protagonists I, that I saw weren't saying that. But that was 40 percent. Like that's wow. that's a lot of it. But when it comes to truth. That's why it's important, right? Like we're making our decisions on our life with people that, you know, like they say that we're crazy and we believe crazy things, and I'm thinking, well, you, but you guys, on the other hand, are, are believing some crazy things. And when it comes to us as a church, centering ourselves back on Scripture, centering ourselves back on what Jesus has called us to do and what our purpose is, and one of our purposes, yeah, the least of these brothers of mine, and there is, I cannot think of a more vulnerable population than a child in a mother's womb. There's no voice, uh, no ability to communicate. And for us to speak up on their behalf, man, that's an honor, and it's a privilege to do that. Uh, st- statistically speaking, by the way, of all the, the misinformation floating around there, like the percentage of women uh, that are like, pro-life that are women is actually really high. Like it's the idea that a man can't make this decision. Most pro-lifers are actually women. Like I think it's 65% are female. What is a woman? 
Well, it turns out <laughs> we have to be a microbiologist or a biologist to figure that out or an anthropologist. or This circular thinking is just exhausting. I, I've wondered the exhaustion of how do you de- – like a woman's right to choose if there's no – I don't know what a woman is. I don't know how to – the, the, it, it, when you just in general, like you've kind of painted yourself into this weird corner. Exactly. Yeah. That um, I would love some journalist to sit down and ask some questions, which will never happen because no. those politicians or judges or whatever are never going to sit down with someone who's going to ask them a hard question with it. But I know this as a church family, that is part of what we're going to do, and we uh, we just gave a hundred and five thousand dollars. Our church members did to uh, the. Pregnancy Center of Middle Tennessee. We are standing ready to continue that with whatever happens in our nation. And I pray that this scourge of yes. this law is is removed from our yeah. country. Because if it's not, I honestly don't. When I we pray for God to bless America, there's a point where I'm like, man, I I really want that. But which America does He bless at this point? Because the the percentage that like the laws that they're trying to pass, this law that you just talked about that's, that's not going to pass, but it is so extreme that not there's not a single country in Europe. Uh, what is it? Maybe China? There's How many countries in the world that would, would have the same, like six or seven? There's there's seven, and um, there's, there's seven countries. North Korea, Vietnam, Canada, China, Netherlands, Singapore, and the United States that uh, have the most aggressive uh, abortion laws. So the, the U.S. is within the top 4% of the most permissive abortion policies in the world. Dude, and the idea that we are somehow being progressive, because uh, the, the fear, right, is that while well, we're going to fall behind, we're the only country, because that's one of the talking points I've heard, we're the only country since 1991 that has rolled back abortion on its face, a factually true statement that is 100% intentionally misleading. Because these countries that they're talking about that haven't rolled back, whatever, in Europe, uh, there's a Wall Street Journal article. I think it's actually in today's uh, Wall Street Journal that it was May 8th. And they, this author goes through and, you know, look, there's a, the countries like, uh, write this one, abortion in Sweden is available on demand up to the 18th week. After that, only with medical permission if the fetus isn't viable. Italy, it's the first 90 days. Denmark, Germany, Belgium, up to the 12th week. Uh, France extended it to 14, right, weeks. Now, by the way, that policy doesn't make me happy as a pro-lifer, but but that would 100%, like that's the kind of policies we're talking about returning to here, the 15-week, the heartbeat bill, all that stuff. That's what we're saying, and the progressive left right now is acting like that that is like madness and that we're yeah. going back to caveman times because we're falling back behind all these other countries. And all it would do... If the Mississippi, you know, bill gets passed, is it just makes it in line with kind of what the other countries of the world are doing? Yeah, give them an inch, take a mile. Um, that Senate vote is today for the Women's Health Protection Act. Um, women's, don't you love that they're saying women's health? Yeah, and it's 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 uh it's intentionally worded as such. Yeah, except for the little girl inside of the mama. It's not not her, her health. No, no, I had the privilege and the honor of. Uh, seeing um, my grandson's 20-week ultrasound this week, uh, producer Micah's little boy. And uh, to see this ultrasound was just it's mind-blowing. Right? Right. The, 20 weeks old, the, the activity, the... 20 weeks, um, right. 
the movement, all the, the shapes, the the limbs, like everything's there. Yeah, he's rocking. He's just chilling out, sucking his thumb. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's why these sonograms. So save um, save the storks organization is yeah. one of those that does that. But we as a church invested in a sonogram for the pregnancy center, in Middle Tennessee, so that a young woman who's being told it's a glob of cells by Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. knows at least that they can make a decision that that little glob of cells has fingers and toes and, you know, even a little, uh, you know, a little stem on the apple. So, you know, that it's a boy, like <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's, it's, all, it's there. all there, <laughs> right? The heart's beating. Like, um, it's great. Like, yeah. So the, anyway, well, this week we're going to continue our sermon series. Um, uh, more than a name is we, we, we have a couple more weeks in this series and, and this week you're going to really dive into purpose. Um, the purpose for the church, which we've talked about a little bit today, yeah. Um, in the not only the purpose for the church, um, but the purpose for our church. Yeah, yeah. Our specific role in that, like, which is not to shrink back, but to to charge forward, not to hide and to cower back, but you know, courage. And the question, I mean, the the most basic question you could ask: If we are getting together as a church, why? Like if I were to ask Sunday morning, just to walk on stage, maybe I will. Like what? What do you define the purpose? Yeah. Why are you here? Why are you here? What's the purpose of a church? <laughs> Why did you wake up and come bring yeah. your family to do this today? The majority of us, depending on where we are in our walk, whatever, would probably answer something that has something to do with what I get out of it. You know, I feel better when I come here. I, you know, the word I get taught the word. I, you know, there's something about it that's. And by the way, that's a purpose part of a purpose of a church, but it's an incomplete purpose of a church. And that's, we're here, we're together, now what? And, you know, I wanted to set slaves free in Asia, but what am I going to do, right? I'm just a guy. But working with other believers, working with the church in Asia, working with the believers in the church here, like we are, all I am is literally one piece in that bigger puzzle, but without a church, Without churches, not, there would still be 250 families in slavery right now. Uh, actually, another 49 people, so another nine, 12 families? Another 12 families, are, uh, we literally just sent the money, another yeah. 12 families in process right now would not be going free without a church. So the, the, uh, the, what is the purpose of a church, right? To storm the gates of hell together, not to cower back and hide behind our fortress, but to deploy the force. And so we're going to talk about that on Sunday. Well, that's exciting. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for um, jumping in the car with us and through our little scenic route um, with a couple of different stops and some bumps along the way. And uh, we, we appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to, to, to have this podcast and, and share some of these things. Um, we're glad that you that you tune in and we're, we love the feedback. Thank you for, um, for emailing us or, or texting us when you do listen. And uh, it really does encourage us. Um, we're excited to uh, to do this again next week as we follow up on this new sermon series. And if you haven't caught up on on that, or even, man, there's podcasts for now two years worth, um, and some of which were in the height of the pandemic. And then we went through a whole 18-month journey in the book of Revelation. Um, maybe you missed that. Maybe you're new to the podcast. That is still out there. Just scroll down and, and check out some of those older podcasts as well, as much of it is still very relevant to today. Yeah. Look forward to uh, catching you all soon. Have a great week.